Good morning. My name is Dean, that's right. It's like a quiz like we were having earlier with Monica, fantastic time that we shared together. It is a blessing to be able to be here and to open God's word. It's my prayer that as we get into the word, it will be a word that is in season. So let's pray about that. Our God, we thank you that your word is the word of life and truth. As we read your word, so it is our God, not only do we gain wisdom and insight, we learn more about you. In fact, you engage with us. You communicate with us. We sense your very presence. So we pray now that as we open the word and as we seek to learn from you, our God, we pray that you would give us open hearts and minds. May we be like sponges taking in that, that water of life that you wish to bless us with this morning. So we give this time to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's always good when you read other people's letters, don't you think? They weren't written to you necessarily, but as you read that letter, you get insight into the writer. And I was struck, for example, when I read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's letters and papers from prison. They gave insights into his life and what he was dealing with, all that was taking place in his very being, in his spirit, in his emotions and so on. And I was very touched as I read Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter that we're focusing upon in these few weeks. And as I read chapter 2, I was really struck by the lengths that Paul went to, almost the pains he went to, to communicate that he had good motives as he was preaching to the Thessalonians in his previous visit, that he was there with pure motives. There was nothing underhanded that was going on. I encourage you to have a look at 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2. Perhaps download the study that's been written on it as well and use it in your life group in the next week or two or perhaps use it in private study. Let me read just a few verses that the Apostle writes to this church in Thessalonica. From chapter 2 and from verse 2. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. He wanted to get that across. Our motives are good. There's no trickery. There's no deceit here. And we don't like anybody who treats us in that way, do we? If someone comes across with what we consider to be improper motives, we detect that. We don't like it at all. So Paul is really wanting to make it clear to his readers that he came with good motives. Continuing. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Isn't that a great purpose? Wouldn't you like to have that as one of your motifs, something that would govern your life? That I'm not here to please people. I'm not a people pleaser. We must please God above all. Now, Paul didn't only say that here. He said it elsewhere. He alone, that is God, examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery 
as you well know. Isn't flattery awful? We wouldn't like anybody to try and win us over with flattery. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. Isn't that a good one? Ulterior motives, not at all. As for human praise, we never sought it from you or anyone else. So as I read that, I thought, wow, it's all about motives, genuine motives, the reason why, why we do what we do. If you listened to Australia all over, to Macca this morning, you would have known that uh, there was a time we, where they had that little segment, why we live where we live, and people describe why. The why question is a very important one. The why question reveals what's deep within us. The why question will often reveal our culture. The why question indicates the purposes that we have. The why question talks about what are the purposes that we have in life. It's the why question. Children ask the why question, don't they? Why is this? Why that? In fact, that's almost the third word that they use after they come up with dada and mama. A little kid comes, why? They ask that question almost ad nauseum goes on and on, the why question, but it is really an important question, the why question. What are our motives? Paul was at length to explain his motives. We also need to examine ours. This morning that's what we're about to do. Paul was talking about his motives for communicating the gospel, why he was a gospel sharer, why he wanted to preach about Jesus, why he wanted to tell about the Holy Spirit, why he was there amongst them, the why question. And we can address that here this morning, our motives, worthy motives that we can have, particularly surrounding our mission as a church. For our mission as a church, it's been written large, we've had it for many, many years now, is to make disciples who make disciples. It comes straight out of Scripture. That is our mission. But it's one thing to have the mission. It's another thing to truly understand why we have that mission. What's the purpose of it? What's it all about? Why would we make disciples who make disciples? So this morning I'm going to unpack that a little bit together. I'm going to suggest a few reasons why we would want to be involved in faith sharing. Why we would want to be making disciples who in turn make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first reason, the first why, is that it is absolutely centred, it is foundational in the very nature of God. How do we understand God? We can think of God as creator, God as all-knowing. We know of God as saviour in Christ. We can think of God as light, but there's a, there's a feature of God, a property of God that's in Scripture that is woven right through from Genesis through to Revelation, and it is this, that God is a seeking God. God searches. God is on a divine quest. God is wanting all people everywhere to come into relationship with him. Not to be separated from God, but close and growing in relationship with God. God is a seeking God. In Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning of the Bible, 
we have the story, the account of how the man and the woman who were there in the garden in the presence of God were disobedient. They ate from the tree that they were forbidden to eat from. The result of that was that they felt naked, they clothed themselves, they were even opposed to one another in a sense, and they hid in the garden. And God came to them in the cool of the evening in the garden and he came with a question. He said, where are you? He sought them out. He was seeking them. That's his very nature. Where are you? I believe that that question was asked in the beginning of biblical history and it's being asked over and over today. It is the perennial question of God. Where are you? I believe he's asked it of me many times and he's asked it of you and he'll keep asking it of you and he's wanting to ask it of every person on this globe. Where are you? Where are you in your relationship with me? Where are you in your ideals? Where are you in your faith? Where are you in your love? That is the question. God is seeking you out to be in relationship with him. If we fast forward into the New Testament, we come to Luke chapter 15. It begins with the account of how tax collectors and many notorious sinners were gathering around Jesus. They were responding to him. They were listening to him. They were hanging on to every word that he uttered. But the religious leaders didn't like it. They began to murmur about what was going on. They were critical of him. Who is this that sinners gather around him? It shouldn't be going on. And what did Jesus do? It says in verse 3, so Jesus told this parable. He told the parable about the lost sheep, where there were a hundred sheep that the shepherd had, but at the end of the day when he counted them, there was one missing. He made sure the 99 was safe, and then he went searching, seeking the one that was lost. And when that one was found, he rejoiced. He told a second story about a woman who had 10 coins, but she lost one of them. She turned the place upside down until she found the one that was lost. And when she found it, she got her friends together, had a great party. And Jesus said, there is more joy in heaven over one loss that is found. More joy. God is a seeker. Then that wasn't enough. Jesus told another story about two sons. One who was lost to his father. And when he came to his senses, his father was out there seeking him to embrace him back, the story of the prodigal son. And we might look at those stories and we name them, the story of the lost coin, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the prodigal son. They're not the best titles for them, folks. The best title for those stories is the seeking God. It is God who is seeking. Those stories are all about God. Not about the people so much. They're the ones who are found because of the seeking God. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And when we engage in ministry of making disciples, when we are faith sharing, when we might be preaching the gospel, when we're communicating the truth of scripture, we are aligning ourselves perfectly with the seeking God, with God's nature. That is the why. That is number one as to why we would make disciples who make disciples.
A second motive would be what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission. It's there in Matthew chapter 28, the last few verses, where Jesus, in his risen presence, gathered with his disciples on the hill in Galilee, and he said to them, as you go, make disciples of all peoples, baptise them and teach them, teach them all that I command you, and remember that I'm with you always to the end of time. We call that the Great Commission, the sending out, the thing that we do in obedience. It's repeated in Luke as well. On the day of resurrection, Jesus again gathered with his disciples and he said, this word, the word of the cross and so forth, must be proclaimed to all people. We are given that task. It's our duty, so to speak, but we do it out of obedience because we want to. There's two dangers that we can fall into where it comes to communicating the gospel, I think. One is to talk about Jesus only, all the time. Sometimes we come across a person like that. They don't engage with us. All they want to do is just give the word out and we feel as if we are almost being bombarded with it. The other one would be the opposite end of the spectrum where we say nothing about Jesus. Both are extremes. But there in between is the opportunity that we have to communicate the gospel. I remember once I was at a social function and social function and a lot of engineers present. I was talking with a particular engineer. He's a big guy, taller than I am, and certainly much wider than I am. That wouldn't be hard to do. But anyway, there we were in conversation and he knew I was a pastor and he said to me, when I talk with a minister, I like to talk about what I want to talk about. In other words, back off, religious person. But it wasn't long. Within a few minutes, I asked one or two questions and then out came his need. He wanted to talk and in that moment I was able to communicate the gospel. You see, no matter what facade people put up, what mask they might wear, and we're wearing them this morning, it's nice to better take mine off for a while, but whatever mask might be there, beyond that veneer, underneath, There is a needy person. And keep in mind that we are serving the seeking God, the one who's reaching out for people. Jesus prayed for those who were seeking. In John chapter 17, we read how Jesus in his prayer prayed for his disciples, but then he said, I pray not only for these, but for those who will come to faith through their ministry. Jesus is praying for the people that you're going to come in contact with. Jesus is preparing the way. All we need to do is to be faithful and obedient to this commission of making disciples who in turn make disciples. That's the second why. One is the nature of God. The second one is the great commission that is given to us. The third reason why we might get involved in this is quite apparent in that reading, but it's also right throughout the Gospels, and that is God is a God of love. And God acts out of love, and because of the love of God, we want to communicate God's truth to people. God is love. God acts out of love. That verse we know so well, John 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that those who put their trust in him might never perish but have everlasting life. 
God is love. We act out of love. Always out of love. The Apostle Paul in one point in 2 Corinthians said, the love of Christ compels me. It compels me. It constrains me. It controls me. It is the love of Christ within me. I can do no other. One person said these wonderful words, indelibly impressed upon me. He said, when the love of God becomes the great compulsion, that's when faith sharing and evangelism become the great commission. We communicate out of love, out of love. Our motive, our foundational motive is love, always love, always there for the interest of the other person, never our own. Now, I know that we love to see the church grow. We believe the church should grow. But our motive is not simply to grow the church. Our motive is not that the stats look good. The motive is not that the senior pastor is known all over the place because it's a big church. The motive is not that we get the finance to do what we want to do with the finance. That's not the motive. The motive is always out of love. And as we act out of love and we are true to this commission that we have of making disciples, the church naturally will grow. It must grow. I believe it should grow. The Apostle Paul was clear as he wrote to that church at Thessalonica, out of love. He said to them, we came just like a mother feeds and cares for her children. That's in verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He also said, when we came to you, we came not only with words and with the message, but we came with our own lives. We, we engaged with you. We were with you. We are totally identified with you. We are in solidarity with you. We are not distant. He went on to say, we came as a father treats his children. That is love. That is love. A fourth reason why we might communicate in this way, a motive for sharing the gospel, is the picture that Jesus and other writers of the scriptures give us of the kingdom of God. Jesus preached the kingdom of God. Jesus knew that there was a time coming where at the name of his own name, the name of Jesus, as it says in Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That is the vision of what is to take place. That will come. We see that vision Replete in scripture. It's in Isaiah 65 in a different way. Where the people of exile get a picture of what God is to do. The new heaven and the new earth that is to come. A time when a child, it says in Isaiah 65, a child will not just live a few days. Or where older people will not die early, so to speak. They'll grow to a great old age. It's a time when there's no predator and prey where oppression is gone totally. No one is oppressed and no one is oppressing. It's a time, said Isaiah as he wrote, when the lion will lie down with the lamb. It's a time of peace. It's God's shalom. It's the kingdom of God breaking in. Jesus preached it. He said, the kingdom of God is among you. Therefore repent and believe the gospel. Go right to the 
last book of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 21, again we get this picture of the kingdom of God. A new heaven and a new earth. No more tears, no more weeping. For God is fully dwelling with people. I want you to know that that vision motivates me. Despite what might be going on in the world, despite all that we might suffer, some of the struggles we have, some of the disappointments that we have to deal with, that vision propels me. That vision of the kingdom of God that is breaking in, it motivates. I believe it motivated Paul. It enabled him to suffer all kinds of extremities, all sorts of things, danger, beatings, imprisonment. He had a picture of God's new day, the kingdom that was breaking in. And when you've got that picture, when you've got that picture, you know that you can take action. It's a vision of a preferred future that God is giving. Might I just suggest one more motivation and to do with each one of us personally. I think God has created each of us for a reason. And it's wonderful when each individual discovers what that purpose is in life. It's a key motive, not to simply go through life, but to discover why. Why am I made this way? Why has God gifted me this way? It's like Paul said in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be squeezed into the mould of somebody else's making, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you might prove what is perfect and what is the will of God for you. And then he went on to talk about the spiritual gifts and how they are dispersed differently, variously, to different people within the body of Christ. I would believe that one of the key motives that we could have would be to develop that potential that is within us, develop it to the greatest possible extent that we could. That would be a high motive to serve God with all we have and to continue that right through life. I was reading that there's a, a bootmaker, it was in Texas, his, name, his surname was Dunn, Dunn of Texas, a great bootmaker, famous. And once he was asked by a young man, how long would it take for him to become a good bootmaker? And Dunn said, I can't answer your question, I don't know, because I don't know how long you're going to live. It will take your whole life. How true that is for you and for me. To keep growing in God, to keep developing who we are, to go deeper into God so that as we grow spiritually, so our motives become purer. The closer we get to God, so we have more worthy motives, more reasons which are aligned with God as to why we are who we are and why we do what we do. Can you take those home? Can you write them down if you're still at home and able to write? Why? Do we make disciples who make disciples? First, because 
faith sharing and evangelism is in the very nature of our seeking God. Secondly, God gives us a great commission, a command to go and make disciples. Thirdly, because of God's love. Paul said, the love of God compels me. Fourthly, because of the vision. That picture we've got a preferred future, which creates in us a desire to act in ways that please God alone. And fifthly, God has created each of us in a particular way with unique gifts. And we have that motive, in, that great desire within us to want to dedicate them to God, to give them to God, that God would continue to work through us in enabling his kingdom purposes to become reality in the world. Let's dedicate it all to God. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you that you're the one who has sought us out. And we might be seekers, but you were the one who was seeking us long before we even heard of you. You were reaching out with arms of love to bring back a prodigal. You were like the shepherd searching for the lost sheep hidden somewhere, perhaps caught in a bush. You're the woman who's never content with nine coins but keeps looking for the one that's lost and never satisfied until the lost one is found and restored. Lord, we thank you that you've reached out to where we are. That this divine quest of yours is really fruitful. And we pray that through you as we are open to your Holy Spirit as you work in us that we might be even more fruitful in making disciples who make disciples, which is your injunction to us, your command. We know we can't do it in our own strength. We want to give it our best shot. We want to equip ourselves. We want to take risks. We know we do that. But more than anything, our God, we pray for your Holy Spirit's energy and power. For Jesus Christ, our living Lord, to live in us. That our motives would be absolutely pure. For the reasons why we worship you, the reasons why we serve you, the reasons why we want to communicate your gospel word to people that they would hear about Jesus. For those reasons are all linked to who you are, our God. So continue to work in us, we pray. Guide us in every step. Work in every thought we have. Touch every word we speak. And be present in every act that we give. In Jesus' name we pray this prayer. Amen.